right, here we go with Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I'm joined by my man, the NBA outsider himself, except for this week, maybe. I think he might actually be an NBA insider this week. John Lucas Duffy, what's up, dog? From Chicago. What up? What up, dog? Yo, out there in Chicago for All-Star Week. I'll say, I would say weekend, but it's still the week you're in the trenches preparing Chicago for the All-Star Weekend. You're out there. It is the one week where I can't really call you an NBA outsider. You are an NBA insider there, aren't you? It's the one week I'm happy not to be an NBA outsider. Gotta tell you, feels good to be here. It's a lot of fun. I mean, look, honestly, I just do scut work, but it's, it's cool to see, like, basically how this massive production gets built. This is my second year doing it, and it's it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. A lot of good people, people working hard. It's, it's a good experience. I imagine this being something that we've watched basically our entire life, right? The uh, dunk contest, mm-hmm. uh, the concerts they put on, the celebrity game, the actual all-star game, the whole nine, basically, we've been watching for how many years now for you to be able to, you know, be in the production, you know, meetings and preparations and all this stuff. You realize how much work probably goes into it that you never think about it. Uh, it must be pretty sweet out there. And are you excited to bump shoulders with some uh, some writers, maybe some players, some who knows what uh, as the weekend goes on? Yeah, last year I got to be honest, I was it was my first year, and I was just trying not to mess it up so I could get invited back. And this year I'm, I'll be a little more adventurous with you know where I go and who I talk to, and just trying to you know rub some elbows a little bit, a little I, bit. I expect uh, I'll say over under two and a half people who will you know verbally agree to come on the podcast, and, <laughs> and then I'll say over under a half and take the over. Um, of people we actually get on the podcast. So I'm expecting one guest out of you from this weekend, Duff. Oh, God. All right. It's a lot of pressure. Hey, right. hey. I, I could, I could always try for my our close personal friend, Amin Al-Hassan. It would be quite the grab. It would be quite the grab. Anyways, with Amin or not with Amin, we have things to talk about in the NBA, Duff, don't we? The NBA trade line ended um, Thursday last week. A lot of things happened. There wasn't really, you know, some people wanted to call a trade like the uh, Covington and Capella vehicle a blockbuster because there were so many moving parts. There was a couple teams involved. Or maybe the D'Angelo Russell and Wiggins trade a blockbuster because they're high draft picks. Russell was an all-star. Wiggins is still a big name. But from my estimation, blockbuster is probably a little strong for all of the trades that we saw. But nonetheless, we have interesting trades ones that can affect outcomes uh, in both the East and West conferences. So we're here to talk about it. Um, so first off, Duff, before we get into specifics about any specific trades, overall vibes on the trade deadline, was it kind of what you expected in regards to the types of moves that were made? Uh, and and what was the excitement level for you? It was kind of what I expected because every well, everyone was saying it beforehand, like, no one's really going to get moved. There was such a huge free agency push last year that, you know, a lot of people had just signed deals. Not that that's really stopped people in the past at this point, like in, in recent history. Um, but because of the parity that we see in the NBA right now and what the Raptors did last year when they kind of, you know, they were, they were like an underdog story. Like they weren't, you know, Kawhi's his first year there. Pascal Siakam, is he really that good? Fran Vliet. You know, Marcus Saul, they get Marcus Saul at the deadline, which was a big deal. It was, or was that the deadline or was that? And it, they, they get a midseason. And it, it was kind of like a, it was jarring to like think about it, look back on it. No one really saw that coming. And 
And uh, I think it gave a lot of teams hope. And because there are a lot of teams that have like, you know, one star with a lot of depth or two high-end stars, maybe two stars and some depth like the Clippers or something like that. But I think everyone kind of feels that they have a chance or they have a plan moving forward like the Pelicans. And they didn't want to risk kind of breaking up that chemistry or mortgaging their future or kind of resetting the clock a little bit. So it was kind of just a lot of ancillary guys, role players, teams looking for a little more defense, a little more shooting, way less rebounding like the Rockets or, you know, whatever. So it kind of was what I thought it would be. What about you? Yeah, I kind of agree. And I think in my podcast I did solo dolo last week. I, I kind of covered that that there wasn't going to be anything too crazy. I actually thought D'Angelo Russell wasn't even going to get moved, so that happening ended up being a little bit bigger than than maybe what I expected. But when I'm looking at the standings here, there's six teams in the Eastern Conference and seven teams in the Western Conference who are guaranteed teams who expect to be in the playoffs. Now, do the Pacers think they have a chance to make a run for the title? You know, I'm sure in the in the room they're, they're saying they do, but we all know that we don't expect the Pacers to be in the NBA Finals. Same thing for a team like the Mavericks, right? But those are the bottom winning teams for each conference, but they fully expect to be in the playoffs and to contend as best they can and to gain that experience and to give somebody a run for their money. And maybe if they get the right matchup, second round or conference finals, kind of like the Blazers were able to sneak in last year. There's teams in both conferences who fully expect to be playing their best basketball heading into the playoffs, six in the East, seven in the West. Then there's other teams in each conference for the East. It's from seven to like nine, 10 ish. When you get nets, magic wizards, bulls, who are like, you know what, you know, the new lottery, are we really going to just tank it out? Or do we want to make Bradley Beal happy and try to make the playoffs? The Magic are in no man's land, like an eight seed means something to them. The Nets kind of have no choice but to try to win because, you know, they don't have a lot of room for improvement. Might as well put your best foot forward. Same in the West, the Grizzlies, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Suns even for that matter. And now the Timberwolves, now that made this trade, they all are going to now say, listen, tanking is not what we're doing. We're trying to sneak into the playoffs. We're trying to put our best foot forward and win here. And I think that's what led to like these smaller moves to make incremental changes. So like where you look at the, the Kings moving off Dwayne Dedman, like, you know, is that's not them saying, oh, now we're just going to tank. You know what I mean? Like the Kings are still going to try to put their best foot forward. The Grizzlies made some slight pickups. They extended Dylan Brooks. Like those teams in the middle, in my opinion, are still saying, hey, we're not tanking. We're trying to do this. We're trying to win games. We're trying to be good at basketball. And that's why I'm excited for the second half of the season, despite the lack of blockbuster uh, names being moved at the deadline. Yeah, there are a lot of teams with a lot of talent so that are tired of losing, like the Suns or the Timberwolves or, you know, Trey Young on the Hawks or something like that. So I'm hoping as we push towards the end of the season, you know, at this point we would say, okay, these 10 or 12 teams, they have no chance to make it to the playoffs. It's just going to be a race to the bottom. This year I'm, I'm hoping that we get some more competitive basketball and that the the gap between, you know, like the 8th seed and the 14th seed in the West remains close so that these teams have a reason to play towards the end of the season, even going down to the last week. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because another thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to just touch on too, with uh, the way this league is set up, 
with the contracts, how they happen to be falling right now with those teams like the Suns and the Timberwolves that you just mentioned, they're sick of losing. They also know if they continue to accept losing their stars who are their only saving grace, their only thing to hang their hat on, Devin Booker or now Townsend and uh, Russell or De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. Like, if those guys continue to just see an accepting losing culture in their team, like they're going to want out. So a lot of these teams are probably looking in the mirror like, hey, maybe we're not going to be uh, a you know the Utah Jazz from a couple of years ago where we win 30 out of our last 40 games and make a run for the sixth seed. But if we don't put our best foot forward here, Towns is going to be pissed, Booker's going to be pissed, Fox is going to be pissed, you know, Lonzo, Ingram are going to be pissed. And, and that's important, right? So the way the contract is set up, a lot of these teams who have those young guys are now getting nervous. If we don't do something about it, if we don't get better, they're going to be the blockbuster name traded in future deadlines because we can't keep them happy. So... Yeah, that's what is leading to this, and I like it. Like the Hawks, fifteen and thirty nine, or sixteen thirty nine, just won the uh, beat the Knicks on on Tuesday night. Uh, they have no shot to do anything this year, but they got Clint Capella, Dwayne Dedman to help out Trey Young, to help out Herder and uh, DeAndre Hunter and John Collins to make them go from a fifteen crap team, fifteen win crap team, to a thirty five, thirty seven, thirty eight win respectable team that we thought they had a chance to be. Right, So those things are important. It's cool to see when tanking has been such an issue in the NBA. Um, but to set up quickly this podcast before we get into the nitty-gritty of all these trades here, SBNY Podcast on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. So don't be bashful on Apple Podcasts app. Hit up the five stars. Drop in a review. Let us know what you want to hear more of, uh, whether it's not NBA or it is. Want to hear your takes. We want to hear from you guys. So thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Um, and yeah, one other thing, my friend always said, don't forget to turn your notifications on, on your Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use. Turn those notifications on so you get uh, a little ding on your phone when we got to come out with a new episode. That, that's, a, that's a good little tidbit from my buddy Glenn. All right, so Duffy, let's, uh, let's set this up here. How we're going to run through these trades, basically. We're going to use one of our favorite games that we started this year during this NBA season to kind of segue into some of these trades that we saw and that game is clickbait corrections, a game where we see articles or video titles that we basically want to say, hold up, that is not that is not it, sir. <laughs> that is not the way we want to phrase this uh, position or take on basketball, and that is a not, not a fair way to, to intro this topic. So we're going to take some of these clickbait corrections that we see on the internet about these trades from the deadline, tell them why their article titles are stupid, and tell you what you really need to know about each trade. So Duff, does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me, Pete. Let's hit it. All right. Well, I think there's there's really only one place to start here. We want to hit off the uh, the big hitter, the biggest trade we saw uh, before the deadline. So I think that, in some eyes, it might be Iguodala to Heat, but I don't think that is. I think it's Russell. At least the trade with the biggest, with the most talented player. For sure. So that's D'Angelo Russell to the Timberwolves and Andrew Wiggins to the Warriors. So I, uh, you know, peruse the internet, and in the past on clickbait corrections, I've looked at ESPN and SB Nation and Yahoo and Bleacher Report. This time I wanted to get a little deeper, get some deep cuts here. I went to individual team blogs to see how they were talking about these trade deadlines. Do you have the teams that feel bad for themselves and crap all over their teams when they get the chance? Or the hopeless romantics who continuously hype up their team to no avail? So here we go. The first one is from dunkingwithwolves.com, dunkingwithwolves.com, and the article title Great website is, name. yeah, some of these are actually incredible, but anyways, from dunkingwithwolves.com, how Gerson Rosas dominated the trade deadline, Duff, 
What say you? I say they're not far off. I say really? they're really not far off. Yeah, because we just talked about how teams got to be worried about their, their stars getting nervous specific or, or wanting to maybe jump ship, specifically Towns and Booker. Um, and Booker, I could th- like he's not happier after the trade deadline, right? So now, I mean, he was probably happier after the offseason, but not after the trade deadline. And now Towns, who was visibly upset, even during the deadline, they weren't making moves. And he was posting things to his story about, like, you know, me right now. It's just like a ang- picture of someone angry or, like, confused or something like that. So they end up getting D'Angelo Russell. They get Evan Turner, which is, like, whatever, kind of. But he's just kind of, you know, he's a, he's a pro. Um, and then they get James Johnson, Malik Beasley, and Juan... Juancho, Hernan Gomez. Am I missing anyone there, Pete? I think I, I think I got them all. Um, um, Jared Vanderbilt, if you want to go there. He was also there. Um, yeah, sure. And they lost, just to cover that up. Did they lose? Uh, no, they also acquired Amari Spellman and Jakob Evans. Or Jacob. Is oh, it Jacob? Yeah, Is his name Jakob? Did I just do that for no reason? Is it Jacob Evans? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It yeah, It couldn't Evans. matter less. Um, okay, go on. No, I think I think this is good. I mean, they get to kick the tires on Omari Spellman, who I am not giving up hope on, um, even though he's been on three teams in like a year and a half, which is definitely not a good sign. Um, and Malik Beasley, he seems like the type of guy. I mean, you hear guys like him, a bunch of, like him, you know, uh, Morris uh, from the from the Nuggets, and it's it's like, you know, if those two guys. What are they going to be? Are they going to be better players on a, on a different team? They get an expanded role. That's kind of what you hope for. And the first game was was a good sign for them. They played the Clippers last night. They won 142 to 115. They scored 142 points against the Clippers, which is just mental. Um, and, and Malik Beasley had 23 points, 7 of 13 from 3, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. He had a really good all-around game. And... I think he's going to be really solid for them. Like Wiggins would be the type of guy who would maybe like he could go off for 40, but most of the time he's going to get you like a really inefficient 20 or 21 or 23. Like I think he averaged about 23. So like, and, and he's been there for so long. It was just kind of getting stale. Does he even care? You know, what's it like up there in Minnesota for him? Now this, this is Beasley's a guy who who's been on a winning team and who's, who's was just wanted a bigger role. Like he, he didn't have a bad attitude off the court per se. I think he was just kind of ambitious. Like he, he's hungry to prove himself. And I think he'll prove that he is a better fit for this team, especially from scoring from the perimeter in terms of jump shooting than, than uh, Wiggins ever was. So I think Towns is obviously happy that they have D'Angelo Russell. He's a good buddy of his. They can stay up all night playing video games whatever the fuck it is that they do. <laughs> and I, I just think my goal for them for the end of the season, through through the end of the season, they're too far out of the playoff race. I think they're 10 games back, the eight, speed, eight seed. Just win win the second half. Go over yeah. 500 with this new team. Go into the next season with some momentum. And this was a franchise who was just kind of really stale. They got James Johnson, who's who's going to play with a lot of passion. Like, this is, this, I think, is a good, I mean, would I say he dominated the trail? I don't know. But 
he certainly took steps in the right direction, and I'm excited for the Timberwolves next season. That's a, I, I think that's a really good job, like really bringing it into maybe saying dominated might be strong, but if you are a rough and rowdy editor of DancingWithWolves.com, right, and you're just always giving your writers crap, like stop patting the wolves on the on the head, like they're not good, they don't deserve our love, like we need to be hard on them, like you might actually still say, like you know what, maybe Gerson Rosas deserves some credit here. And you will go with that article title because, yeah, maybe they got rid of Jeff Teague and Trevion Graham, but those guys weren't doing much. Andrew Wiggins, you just chronicled, wasn't doing much. Robert Covington, he's best on a team that needs specifically a 3 and D guy. And, like, I hate using that term because it's so cliche at this point. But, like, he's not lifting a bad team up. He's helping a good cliches team. are cliches for a reason, and you're 100% right. Right. Like he's, He needs to be on a good team because those, that, those are the two things he is – Excellent at. Yeah, exactly. He's not lifting a bad team up. He's going to help keep a good team at a high level and fill in the cracks. He raises your floor. Exactly. So they lost Teague. They lost Trayvon Graham. Who cares? Teague's back in Atlanta. Good for him. But Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Evan Turner have all been a part of teams that have played in the playoffs. Now, Wancho's minutes have been iffy over the past year or two, but when he plays, decently productive and can shoot the crap out of the ball. Malik Beasley... Is it just, can we just say he's just better than Andrew Wiggins? Like, he's better. He's a better player. I'm fine right? with that. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And, and Hernan Gomez is just like Beasley in the sense that he he wants to prove himself. He's a guy who's ready for an expanded role. Like, he's hungry. Is, you wait, want those guys on your team. Here's a little clickbait correction that you can put on me. Is Malik Beasley better than D'Angelo Russell? Is he a more, <laughs> is he a more sound, consistent player who affects both sides of the court? Than I Russell. think Beasley, I think Beasley's kind of more, he, he's a floor raiser and Russell's more of a ceiling raiser. Okay. I, I like that. Very that's well, very well said. And also, like, uh, the Nets, they also got a, a lottery protected pick from the Nets in 2020. So if the Nets make the playoffs this year, which they seemingly should, cause the East from seven to 11 kind of stinks. They get a pick from the Nets as well in that whole deal. So maybe, maybe you know what? I saw that article title. I was like, Gerson Rosas dominated the trade deadline. Like, come on now. Come on now. But maybe it's not as crazy as I made it seem off the jump because you look at this team now versus last week and you say, oh, this is a team that now has depth, has guys who are going to play hard, who are going to play on both sides of the ball. And as you mentioned, off the jump, Towns is no longer going to be as pissy, we hope and assume. So... Gerson Rosas, congratulations. Yeah, and D'Angelo Russell is going to be, a, I think he's going to be a, a really good pick-and-roll partner for someone like Towns. I mean, Wiggins has been in a bunch of pick-and-rolls with with uh, the Timberwolves when he was there. He was terrible at it. Like, he just doesn't have the feel or the vision for it. I think he's going to do well in, um, in Golden State to be more of, like, the Harrison Barnes substitute. If they can get him to consistently hit Catch and shoot threes at a high thirty percent rate. They're going to be and and get him to play good team defense. Like I don't know how good he's going to be in isolation. He's someone like something like mentally does not click for him when it comes to how he's supposed to execute on just like where to stand and what to do in certain situations. But I think playing with a team with such a high IQ when you talk about Steph Clay and Draymond and Steve Kerr as the coach and just that that franchise in general, I think, I think he'll naturally just kind of learn and improve by us through osmosis. Yeah. I guess we kind of forgot about Wiggins and he, in this whole thing. And right? his expectations, 
and expectations. That's why I'm transitioning now. Thank you for ruining that. Um, Sorry, Mr. no, you're doing so. You were doing so well that I was like, oh shit, yeah. we forgot. But about the that. and and the expectations for him go way down. They go way down for next season, and he just kind of has to stay solid and do his job. Like and when he's a number one pick, and you know, there's all that he's, you know, Minnesota's so thirsty for for basketball success. Like now he's going to a franchise that just had so much success. Not to say they're complacent. But they're not going to point the finger at Andrew Wiggins, really. I don't think. Like, I don't. I don't think he's going to be. You know, he might be the deciding. He's just going to kind of make incremental improvements or, or take take stuff on or off the table, kind of around the margins. Like, you know, you got your meat and potatoes as Clay and and Steph, and then you know Draymond's like like your sides, like your appetizers, your salads getting the dirty work done, eat your vegetables. He's the vegetables. Eat your vegetables, get the dirty work, do what you're supposed to do. And then, you know, Andrew Wiggins is going to be like salt and pepper. Hey. He's going to be like salt and pepper on the day. Yeah, can you eat it you without know, you like, some you extra want, salt? Sometimes sure. you need Sometimes you need the salt and pepper, sometimes you don't. Like, it's going to be those kind of nights for him. Strong analogy pod off the jump. I could, I could feel it already. I could feel it already, Jeff. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you make, and quick, because I want to move to our next trade here, but what do you make of Steve Kerr basically saying, uh, after the trade happened, that D'Angelo Russell was never really a good fit, and they kind of knew that from the from the get go. And Wiggins, they they feel like can can just jump into the system. Yeah, Kerr seems like uh, the type of guy who's very thoughtful with what he says. I'm gonna. I'm, I haven't heard the whole quote, um, but I'm gonna assume it was taken out of context, and he said something like he's a really talented player, and he's gonna be good in Minnesota because I think he is a good player. I think he will succeed in in minnesota with with towns at least offensively defensively he's a lot a bit of a liability he's he's a good player like he's he's very talented he's good at like kind of he's he's a little specific like he's kind of has that like damian lillard james harden i'm gonna get a high pick and roll and then attack off of that and it it, like he doesn't his problem is he's just not as good as those guys that's really kind of all it is from him and not to say he can't get close like he's only 20 Four, I want to say, 24, 25 men. So I'm okay with Kerr saying that. I think he's 100% correct. They really needed a like a lengthy wing guy, which is what Wiggins gives them. He's a better fit as long as it turns out. It turns out well for him. So And he, and he you know, kind of fits in. So I'm, I'm okay with him saying it. I don't think he's wrong at all. What about you? Uh, D'Angelo Rush was 23, by the way. Holy hell. Yeah, already made an all-star team. Uh, obviously in the East, a little different with the guard situation. But yeah, uh, I feel like he was in college before I was. Eh, I think he was there while we were there. I think that would add up. Okay. But anyways, nonetheless, uh, I was actually a little surprised just because it, it feels unlike Kerr to even like remotely burn a bridge like that afterwards for seemingly no reason for a guy who's like no longer a part of you. That's what I'm saying. It had to be out of context. Yeah, for sure. But I also watching the Warriors this year with D'Angelo Russell, I was like, you know, this team's really not good. And when they compete, he is doing a very good job of not playing – an insane amount of hero ball where he's just like, I'm with all these scrubs. I'm just going to take 30 shots a night. Like that's not really what he did. And I thought that was a good step for him. Cause you could imagine him on a bad team. Just being like, you know what? Y'all suck. I'm shooting 30 times. Like I am James Harden, but so I, yeah, I, that's, that's why I was kind of like shocked. That franchise though, doesn't give us like that. They're not a hero ball. They're, they're not a system or a group or whatever that, that, that promotes that type of play. Right. Like if he was on if he was on the Rockets and James Harden gets hurt and he was there instead of Russell Westbrook, like then he just essentially becomes James Harden and he's taking forty shots a night. Like <laughs> yeah. That would have happened, hundred percent. Facts. All right. So, um, 
let's move on to our next one because we got to keep this thing moving here, of course. So uh, I think it seems like you're pretty pleased with the Timberwolves trade. Do you want to say there's a winner here or, you know, is it even worth going down that road right now? Because really, when you think about Timberwolves as the winners, it's about all their trades, maybe not specifically that one. So I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you say about that quick before we move I on? I mean, I'm going to, I'll go ahead and say the Warriors are the winner just because they're, they're really kind of coming at this trade from a position of strength, considering they're going to have a really high draft pick this year. And, you know, Steph, they're going to get Steph and Clay back next year. Um, and then they get a high, potentially a high draft pick the following year from the, from Minnesota. It's top three protected. Right. So, you know, do I think that team is a playoff team next year? Maybe. Is the West going to be just as tough, you know, next year as it is this year? Absolutely. So, it, it you know it could potentially be a lottery pick, and with the flattened odds, I like I like uh, I like this trade more for Golden State. But uh, you know, for all the reasons I outlined, I'm very okay with uh, you know. I think this is a good good deal for both sides. There we go. All right, good stuff. Uh, let's move on to our next trade. This was perhaps the most talked about leading up to the trade deadline um, because it was most likely to happen, I guess, throughout or something was going to happen with this individual. That well, individual. There was some drama. There was some drama. Oh, there, there was there was definitely some drama, and I talked about it last week on the pod. Uh, and this is about Andre Iguodala, you know. And Duff, just to give you a quick preface of what I said last week, like if when I watched him the last year, specifically last season, I did not see the Andre Iguodala we got used to making insane impacts on games with only scoring seven points. Didn't see that. His health is questionable. Uh, hopefully his year or half a year off is going to help him in that regard. But nonetheless, he was one of the most touted guys on the trade deadline, on the trade block during the trade deadline. He didn't play a game yet this year. He basically just said the Grizzlies he didn't even, like, screw you. To the team. Yeah, he still got paid, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yes. And then got an extension with the Heat. Because I, I know in football, football, you don't if you don't report, you still get paid or you don't get paid. Yeah, he. But oh, in the he's NBA, getting you get paid. paid no matter what. hundred percent getting paid. I don't even. I we, just wanted to double check. I'm that, pretty sure we can say with some confidence he's never been to Memphis since he was traded there, right? Like, Maybe in his life, other, yeah. like or not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for when he's playing, right? So Iguodala, not a Grizzly, now a member of the Miami Heat. Uh, that was the deal, I guess, most anticipated and finally did come to fruition. Here are some of the other pieces that uh, were acquired. The Heat got, on top of Iguodala, Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. The Grizzlies acquired Justice Winslow, which was a big piece. Dion Waiters, and we actually forgot to talk about this guy when we talked Timberwolves. Uh, Gorgie Jang also went to the Grizzlies in the James Johnson maneuver. And yeah, frankly, like, you know, Georgie Jang isn't a complete game changer, but gave valuable minutes to the Timberwolves, especially when Towns was out. Um, so that's the full trade there, Duff. So here's the headline that I saw that jumped out to me in regards to the heat. All right. This one comes from all you can <laughs> Another <laughs> a stellar team blog website name. All you can Here it is. Riley strikes again to emerge as deadline winner from all you can heat.com. Uh, now Duff, I'm not sure how you feel about this one. I have a take. So I'll ask you what you think first, but uh, Riley strikes again to emerge deadline winner. What do you think? I think this. I think this would have been a hundred percent accurate if uh, instead now it's only like seventy five percent accurate because they didn't end up getting um, Gallinari, who who they were rumored to get as part of this deal. 
So now it's like, uh, he's like a winner, but man, that Gallo thing really would have put him over the top. Now it's like, eh, he's still kind of in that second tier. That's how I feel about it. Okay. Um, that's not the route I was going to go, but I do agree. I think, you know, Iguodala got all the stink or all the uh, praise throughout this trade deadline, but once the Danilo Gallinari name got mentioned, I mean, yo, Gallinari is without question a better player than Andre Iguodala right now, and it's not particularly close. Danilo Gallinari is really good, right? Is that fair to say? Yes. No, I'm... I'm t- I'm fully with this take. Keep going, please. I feel like people were saying, like, you know, Iguodala is going to make them a championship contender. Oh, yeah, and they might also get Danilo Gallinari. Like, no, 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 no. If you get Danilo Gallinari to this Heat team to play with Bam Adebayo with the nice small athletic lineup who can do a lot of things with the ball, think about Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler, Danilo Gallinari, and Bam Adebayo. Like, that is a really versatile, strong lineup who can do a lot of things to put the ball in the hoop and play defense. Andre Godala, I don't even know if, like, maybe he fits in for hero and plays like a small or a big two who can't really shoot. He's the only non-shooter on the court. I don't know. Danilo Gallinari is better and would have been a much bigger acquisition than Iguodala, in my opinion. Didn't get enough play. But the reason why this entire this entire article or this, um, uh, what's it called? Headline. Headline really threw me for, for a loop here is... Like, what has Pat Riley done, especially recently, to just for us to just say, hey, Pat Riley is the trade deadline legend who always wins, who doesn't make stupid signings ever, and heat culture is the way to do it. Like, am I wrong to question why we just automatically assume that Pat Riley's never made a mistake with the heat? Like, they got... they got LeBron and they got Bosch when they already had Dwayne Wade. Now, granted, the 2006 thing was pretty damn impressive, uh, what they did with some of the veterans and the young Dwayne Wade. But am I wrong to say, Duff, that they did not, they are not known, they should not be known for being flawless and for winning trades and for emerging again as the deadline winner. When have we ever said that the Heat were a deadline winner? What have they even done? They signed Hassan I, Whiteside to a stupid contract. They traded for Goran Dragic. Like, woo, wow, that's freaking awesome. Like, what? What is this yeah, about? He's no Danny Ainge when it comes to making trades. That's all I'll say. Like I'm, so, I'm, I'm fully all the all the big moves they've made are in free agency. Yeah, like when they signed Ray Allen and like, Rashard maybe Lewis. Like Shaq, fifteen years ago, but yeah, fifteen years I mean, ago, it's a different universe. They signed Ray Allen and Rashard Lewis in 2012. Those were huge off-season signings. What do you want to hear? Some of the trades that I'm scrolling through right now. Yeah, yeah, they traded Dexter Pitt- Pittman for cash. They trade <laughs> they traded a second round pick hey, Sterling hey, Brown. Cream, bro. They Green. traded they traded Sterling Brown, who wasn't drafted yet. It was just a second round pick. He turned into Sterling Brown for James Ennis. Whoa. Like <laughs> so yeah. a lot of these trades are absolutely useless. James Ennis? I didn't even know James Ennis was on the heat at any point in time. Yeah. They traded Roger Mason and, and Roger Mason and Cash for a second round pick. They traded Samaj Christian and PJ Harrison for a second round pick. Signed Luel Deng. They signed James, James Ennis again. Signed uh Shabazz Napier. Like, signed Tyler Johnson, signed... Wait, did they drafted Shabazz, I thought. No. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. They re-signed him later on. Um, mm-hmm. They signed Hassan Whiteside after, you know, building him up from nothing, which was really cool. Then, like, then what? They got they traded for Goran Dragic. Like, that's in the last seven years since the LeBron thing is all over and done with. None of their trades have been worthwhile at all. At all. 
That's I just me. Dumb. I'm with it. But to, to get back to this specific trade, from just an Iguodala standpoint, and I think like the media, the fans, like whatever the narrative around any league at this point has, or the NBA in particular, has kind of shifted to being a little too pro player. It's like I, I, I feel like people were were getting on the the Memphis Grizzlies too much for for having Iguodala and not you know buying him out, not releasing him or waiving him you know, giving him a trade. It's like, you know, let him, let him go. Like he's got the right to do this. And I think the Anthony Davis and Paul George stuff has kind of like, and, and Kawhi Leonard has kind of like messed with our perspective here. It's like, yeah, he's got the right to do that, but the team has the right to keep it or the, has the right to make their own decision about what to do with that particular player who's, who's under contract to play for their team. And what he wanted to get a full buyout for seventeen million dollars for his full contract, like, and you didn't even show up for camp. Like, go fuck yourself. What are you talking about? That doesn't. That that's so absurd. Like, from the perspective of the of the Grizzlies, I definitely kind of feel for them because I feel like Iguodala was was coming at it from an unreasonable place. Like, you want you want fifteen, fifteen million, fourteen million? Like, you know, throw me a bone over here. Like, why am I going to pay you your full salary? So you can go play against me for some other team. And, yeah, and also, and, and he was probably, and if he was bought out, he's probably just gonna say, "Oh, seventeen in the bank, you know, give me the veterans minimum. I'll go play for the Lakers." Like, fuck you, and then I gotta see you twice, twice more this year. Like, and then maybe give you a chance to win the win the championship. Like, why am I gonna do you any favors? And then the team that just traded him to Memphis just gets away scot-free from just dumping salary and not caring about him or where they sent him, right? Like, yeah. the, the Warriors become scotch-free of any blame here in this situation. It's like, oh, yeah, well, the, the Warriors had no choice. They had to trade him. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that's how basketball works and how Andre Drummond ended up in Cleveland. Like, yo, you think Andre Drummond's going to be like, nope, not playing for Cleveland, buy me out right now. Like, and my player option. Like, <laughs> there's also certain people who have that type of weight. And I love Andre Iguodala. I think he's like a super talented basketball player who does amazing things on the court without just putting the ball in the hoop. But, yo, he's not LeBron. He's not Anthony Davis. Like, he's not even close. He's a one time All Star when he was in Philly. He hasn't averaged over 10 points since he's been a Golden State Warrior. Like, you're not the dude who's going to just control your entire career you're also 31 it's not your Dwayne Wade in Chicago when you're 30 or whatever how old Dwayne Wade was he couldn't move anymore wait how old is Iguodala he's like 31 he's not that old he feels like he's 37 right because he moves like he's no that way. old no way is he really that old you thought he was that old he's he that young yeah he, oh, so, oh that's Hang completely on. wrong he's 36 I feel like an idiot right now I was gonna say I was yeah. like I feel like he's 36 like, it, that it's all good that, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that right. even helps my point even more Duff I don't care that I was five years off like you're 30 <laughs> you're 36 you haven't scored more than 10 points in seven years or something like that per game like you should not have the right or feel like you have the right to say f you Memphis because they probably really wanted your services as a respectable leader, veteran presence who's still going to play uh, meaningful minutes for so them. Look at Memphis like, what in are the playoff doing? picture right now. Like, he would have been so good for that team. Yeah. He really would. Like, this young team who's hungry, who wants to win right now. And this, like, this is the type of thing where if, if Jimmy, let's say, you know, I hated when Jimmy Butler got traded to the Timberwolves because I didn't think they had enough pieces yet. I thought they accelerated the clock. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. If the, if the Grizzlies had somehow made that trade 
for him instead. Like if, if this year's version of the Grizzlies traded for, you know, back then's version of Jimmy Butler, that would have been perfect. That would have been an amazing trade. And I think Iguodala could have been like the poor man's Jimmy Butler version of that, like a veteran wing who can kind of show people how to be a pro. And this, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you compete night after night. This is what you want to do if you get to the playoffs. All right, now we're in the playoffs. And this is how you need to understand the matchups that that people are going to be trying to expose and how teams think in these situations and blah, 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 on down the line. He would have been so good for this team. And it's really disappointing that he just kind of snubbed snubbed his nose at them. And, and look, from a Heat perspective, this gives you another body. You could like this is a super athletic team, right? Yes. It gives you another body you can throw at at uh, Giannis or you know Ben Simmons or you know any other and you know Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, whoever they want to see in the play, or Oladipo, whoever they might see in the playoffs is playing from a, a wing perspective. This is really good for them. But I I think they had enough guys that could have done that already with with uh, uh, Jimmy Butler. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. and Bam Adebayo, I think those three guys could have done a serviceable job, like pl- platooning for for those uh, matchups. And I think Gallinari would have been a, a a better get. I agree with you because instead of playing, you know, Myers Leonard or Kelly Olynyk, you now have Danielle Gallinari, and I, that would have been to me a better fit for this team. But uh, you know, teams and players, they they there's a lot of disconnect sometimes between what fans think of a player and what you know NBA players and executives think of a player and I think Iguodala at this point is one of those guys because you know fans and writers they think of Iguodala as someone who's clearly declining and maybe at this point you know him taking this whole 50 games off or whatever that's that was good for him and they're probably going to rest him throughout the rest of the season because he, you know, we talk about 82 game teams versus 16 game teams. I think he's a 16 game player. Oh, 100%. Like, you I mean, he just proved that get in the him for what he's going to give you in the playoffs. 100%. De- he definitely proved that in the playoffs last so year. So, we, we're not even going to know who wins or loses this trade until the, the you know, the very end of the season. No, and no. I'll be well, ready to judge it even that quickly. I'm, I'm fine to say that the Heat won this trade. Like, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that the Heat didn't get a great guy in Andre Iguodala or even a great secondary wing piece in Jay I'm Crowder. Not saying, I'm not saying they won yet. That, I'm, I'm that's, not, that's, that's fine. I'm definitely that, that's completely fine. My main point of why I get so upset about this, because like I am 95% of the time pro player in these situations. Like I, I think teams could obviously have more control about what happens. So when the player has a chance to strike back and take control, almost... 99% of the time I'm on the player side in this specific case. I'm just not like, I'm just not because it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, if you want to get bought out, treat it proper and show up and do the job that everyone is praising you for, right? Like everybody yeah, is praising be, this dude. You want to be respected as a professional, then like be a fucking professional, like yeah. show up, literally just show up for work. And also, let you know? me let me add this because uh, I'm you know ripping on the lack thereof trades that mattered for the Heat. Technically, the Jimmy Butler acquiring acquiring acquirement, I don't it doesn't matter. That was a trade technically, but it was an off season trade where it was it really was like signing, signing trade. trades and yeah, yeah. But like seriously, I I went through this entire Pat Riley executive uh, listing here of every trade he's made since 2008. And there's there the Goran Dragic one is the only one in semi recent history where you can say oh that was useful for them other than like some money saving stuff so I, I'm just yeah, I just get a little worked again up. 
again, it's it's useful. It's not like an amazing trade. It was it was like a useful trade. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a trade that made sense. And every time Pat Riley does something that's special um, for the Heat when he gets Jimmy Butler, when they sign LeBron, uh, which obviously is, you know, undoubtedly one of the best signings of all time, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's always like, oh, Riley does it again. Like, what about the other five years where nothing of note happened? Like, does it not matter? It doesn't matter, I guess. I don't know. I'm probably being dramatic on this one. What are you going to do? All right. Who we got next? All right, so I got worked up on that one, you know. Also, quick note before we move to the next one. No, there's a lot to get worked up about. Uh, Gallinari and the Thunder basically stand pat. I'm fine with it because you know what? The Thunder are going to say, hey, we have all the picks we could probably even own right now. Like, we have more picks than players we can actually roster. Our team's good. It's fun. They play a really good brand of basketball. Gallinari's a great reason why they're that good. Averaging 19 points, efficient as hell big body, whatever. Let's let's just run with this, and I respect that. Um, but yeah, let's move on to our next one. Our next trade is the Marcus Morris to the Clippers, uh, obviously involving the Knicks. So we're going to go, for the headline's sake, clickbait correction's sake, we're going to go to the Knicks, but uh, I feel like we could probably end up talking more about the Clippers. But here's the DailyKnicks.com headline that I, I just loved and grabbed my attention as a, as a New Yorker. DailyKnicks.com. New York Knicks blow the trade deadline. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's that's perfect clickbait because it's just that is just so New York sports and why f- players would hate to play for the Knicks. It's just you're such an fishbowl, and it's like, what were they gonna do? You know, it's like, who did they have to offer besides Marcus Morris? You know, whatever. I mean, honestly, was that trade good for them? Not really. They got Mo Harkless and like the 26th pick of the first round in a draft that's just awful. Um, so I guess you could say they blew it, but it's just like, why? Just like he's already dead. Just leave him alone. You know, it's like one of those things. <laughs> well, they get a, a couple of second, they do a little second round pick as well, and then they do a swap best for the pick next year. Not that that really matters. And then they get draft. Yeah. I wonder rights. who that's going to be. Yeah. Right. Right. That, that one's going to definitely swap. Right. Uh, Mo yeah. Hart. They also get like $4 million in like a trade exception, which is not useless. Right. But the Knicks definitely didn't win anything. Right. But is it fair to say, is there a clickbait correction necessary for the Knicks to have blown the trade deadline again? I know, like you said, it's quintessential New York, but should that headline not be like Knicks do just about okay with trade deadline again? You know, like just, Knicks, Knicks do what we expect. Knicks did just about nothing, but nothing bad, right? Like, unfortunately, that's kind of a win for the Knicks because if they didn't fire Steve Mills, Marcus Morris may have just signed an extension. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, like that is oh, a real possibility yeah. that if Steve Mills was not fired this summer, Morris was getting his team option turned down which would be crazy and getting an extension for multiple years. Cause he can average 20 points a game on a team's that tr- that is trash. You know what I mean? This guy's Steve Mills are like, this guy's 20 plus points a game shooting 40% from three. We got to think about a max deal. here. <laughs> Who are we bidding like, against Steve? Doesn't matter. He's a max player. He should be, he should be max Morris. Yeah. His agent <laughs> is saying that there are many, many suitors. And I, I am inclined to think he's a trustworthy fellow. I mean, we don't have to talk too much about the Knicks. We could talk about them after. So I just need no. to get that. All right, from the chest. Clippers. All right, go yeah, to the Clippers, the Clippers perspective here, Duff. 
<laughs> so for the Clippers, I mean, th- this is just kind of the positionless basketball vibe they're giving off here because everyone was thinking, you know, do they need a big? What about rebounding when you're going up against, you know, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, or whatever other teams in the West that have good big men? Uh, I mean, Dallas has Porzingis, but like, is he someone you're really worried about? Gobert, yeah, but like, you know, are you terribly worried about him? Like, rebounding, trying to to guard him? Like, yeah, just rebounding. So, like, I, you know, I, I think it's really just about Anthony Davis and, you know, are the Clippers terrified of the Lakers right now? Absolutely not, because they've beaten them twice in the regular season. And to me, Anthony Davis is just a dude who does not have, like, the eye of the tiger right now. He is not he, – he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's really locked in um, all the time and who's hyper-competitive like a LeBron James. Um, hopefully he kind of steps it up. But a lot of times I still watch him. I feel like he's so, so talented. And it's, and it's like maybe it's just me. But sometimes I still feel like he's going through the motions a little bit. So for the clip, I'm okay with this trade, but but there's there's a big caveat here that's just kind of Marcus Morris's mentality in general. Like when he was on Boston, he was he was like a like a ball stopper. He would try to go one on one a lot, and and that's not really what they did in their offense in Boston. It was a lot of you know move, cut, space set screens with with weak side action and every everything was purposeful at least that's that's what you know stevens has tried to do but you know morris is a guy he'll get to the end of the game the ball's in his hands with two minutes left and the clippers are down three and he thinks he's the one who needs to be taking a shot and going iso and meanwhile he's got paul george next to him who's pissed off because he doesn't have the ball and Kawhi leonard's on the other side like how the fuck have i not touched the ball in the last five minutes are these guys idiots like what's happening and Lou and Williams, just, who's like probably a, as good a closer as any of them. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like a Twilight Zone moment for Kawhi Leonard. I can just see that coming. Um, so the, the gun to my head, like gut feeling right now, uh, I think I think he'll be able to buy in. I, I do. So I, I think overall, I like this for the Clippers. I think you know Doc Rivers is someone that I've crushed in the past, but obviously, I feel like I was wrong about that. So yes, you were, and it's been proven wrong about that. Uh, <laughs> I was right about Tibbs, though. So fifty-fifty. Um, so I, I think Doc's going to get the best out of him, and if not, Kawhi can just like not pass him the ball ever and just fight him. Hopefully, yeah. Um, well, I have a point. We'll I, I, I have a point we'll to see. that. I have an analogy and a point. So do it. You talked about the Celtics, and then if you think about the Knicks in these past couple months. Marcus Morris is the girl who you want to be with for the summer. You know what I mean? Like he's the girl who you're like, you know what? She'd probably be dope to hang out with for like six months, but I don't think I could be with her for a long time. You know what I mean? So like he went to Boston. Three. Well, you know, I was using six months for like real life, but whatever. Memorial day to labor day. (laughs) Just solely three months. Um, When he first got to Boston, he was shooting a great clip. It was like, wow, this Marcus Morris guy can shoot. He's tough. He plays defense. He, um, you know, isn't afraid of a moment. These are all good things, right? But then he was on Boston for a full two years. It's like he stops the ball. He's actually not that great at defense. He doesn't do much other than kind of just make jump shots. Like, what actually do we really need from him all the time, though he is useful when, like, our young guys aren't ready, right? With mm-hmm. the And then with the Knicks again this year, he single-handedly has won the Knicks 
probably four or five games, which doesn't sound like much, but for an individual and for a bad team. Yeah, but how pretty, many total wins do they have? They had like 16 before he got, or four. Exactly. Set, so, like a, so like a quarter of their wins are just because, like, not just because, but like he was very impactful on about a quarter of their wins. Exactly. Especially the game where they beat the Mavericks and Porzingis in the garden. He was incredible mm-hmm. down the stretch of that game, and he's been great in fourth quarter, shooting great percentages. All this stuff is great. But, like, Knicks fans even realize after, like, you know, this short amount of time, like, yeah, you know, he's good and he makes shots, but nobody in their right mind should want to give him a big extension to stay with the Knicks. Like, he's not part of the future future, right? So maybe for the Clippers, that's a good thing. But also, all those detriments, if they start to show up in the wrong times, it could be a bad thing, like you just mentioned, with the closing minutes and who's getting the la- those last shots when he believes he can take all of them, you know? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So we'll see. We'll see if he buys in. I mean, he he strikes me like I'm hesitant to say anything bad about the Morris brothers because they're clearly insane. Uh, <laughs> I mean that as a compliment, Marquise. Please relax. Um, but like, I, I can't tell like what kind of toughness they are. Like, yes, oh, been saying it all year. They're like, they they are clearly like outwardly tough. Like, want to fight you guys, but like, what about you know just really really having the the like emotional intelligence at the end of a game like we're talking about to really understand like even though you're hyped up you want to help your team and you think the best way to do that is to score always but not having the presence of mind or or the self-awareness to realize that they're not the best option for that you know with uh, i mean look if he can't realize it on a team with Kawhi leonard and he never will um so we'll see yeah, it's definitely a we'll see thing here. And for the Clippers, you know, what are they I losing? I think it's a good move. Look, they get they, like Mo Harkless and like a shitty first round pick. Like for them, this is you know, in terms of asset investment, it's great. And a team control deal with a team that will do the right thing with it as well. You know what I mean? Like with the Knicks, a team control deal. You know, like we said before with Steve Mills, they would have opted out and given him the max. Right, like <laughs> something crazy could have happened like that. So. I think it's a possible good win for the Clippers, but I don't think it'll be a loss for the Clippers. I think if he's, you know, becoming a detriment to the team, he could easily not be in closing lineups. And I don't know if he'll be okay with that, but the Clippers have enough guys for it to be okay, for them to be okay with that, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, whether or not he'll play in in crunch time is, I think, mostly dependent on his defense because Pat Beverly's been shooting the hell out of the ball, and he's someone, I'm telling you, in every close game, in the fourth quarter, he comes up with a big offensive rebound. So, like he, he's kind of like a like the Marcus Smart of the Clippers, where it's just about like heart and soul and effort for him. So, if, if he can't do those things and also bring his shooting and scoring to the table, like it, it's going to be secondary to when it comes to fit late in games, especially in, in big playoff situations. A hundred percent. And uh, the one thing I'll, I'll end with with Marcus Morris back to the Knicks real quick. I had a hard time like really figuring out rooting for Marcus Morris as I watched the Knicks this season because he's just vintage the guy who, as he starts dribbling or posting up, you're like, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Oh, okay, you made it. Okay, all right. Just like look for the pass next mm-hmm. time. Please look for a pass one time, please. So like I had trouble like really rooting for him because I always felt like he didn't make the right basketball play even when he was shooting 9 of 10 in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? He was like, the the Knicks are just like an AAU team this season where everyone's playing for their next deal. 
which is and that's sad. what I, I think for him it was just kind of like a tryout like i'm just going to do the best i can so that a team like the clippers wants to come get me and i can play meaningful basketball yeah and you know what he said all the right things um he actually showed something to me with leadership that I didn't expect from him, but that's not really something the Clippers need from him either, right? So he proved to be a better pro than maybe I would have expected. He approved. He gave me more toughness that I didn't know he had beforehand. You know, we're talking about like that facade toughness that he always had. He showed some real grip and some real toughness this year. So I wish the best for the dude. He gave it his all for the Knicks for, for four, whatever many months it was, five months, I don't know. So shout out to Marcus Morris. Shout out to the Clippers. We'll see what happens there. As far as the Knicks go, you know, just can we play Mitchell Robinson 25 minutes a night? No matter what, let him foul out. Like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> just let him foul out. I don't want to see a box score with 15 minutes for Mitchell Robinson. Meanwhile, when I watched him play, even if he only had six points and six rebounds, he affected this many shots, and he made this type of play on offense, batted the ball out for an offensive rebound. He needs to play. He needs to play 25 minutes. If he fouls out, that'll be a way he can learn to not foul out. All right? That's all i got to say. Does he? Is there a statistic for shots altered? Like, do people track that? There must be something, but um, I wish it was I'm not more sure. public. Like screen, like, screen assist? Like, fuck that. I don't care. Like, seriously, screen assist? Wow, just, um, you're just going to come at DeMontis Sabonis like that, are you? Yeah, like, come on, bro. Like, it, <laughs> that's not even the best That's not even the best part of his game. Like, yeah. it's really not. Like, I know. screen assist is something that's like Rudy Gobert type stuff. Not to say he doesn't do other things really well, but his game is so specifically pick and roll and rim running. So screen assists are really important to him. But like, to, and anyone who doesn't know what screen assist is, it's literally just when you set a pick or a f- or like uh, an off ball screen and then someone whoever you're screening for then scores so or think about so, it yeah. instead of a pass like that's that's screen assist or do, can they do it off the pass too i'm not sure it doesn't matter heck em. i don't i don't think so but that's what screen assist is heck em. for anyone it's like you stand there and someone else does all the work and then you get some made up statistic for it yeah all right well one more question about the clippers before we move on because we have two more things to get to uh, before we say goodbye here Uh, This is one more clickbait correction possibility for us here. This one's from FS1 from the show Speak for Yourself. Uh, So this was a video uh, title here. That is the click. I watch that show every day at work, or I have it on the background. Yeah. That is the most clickbait show of all time. I I love it. I actually love it so much. It's Whitlock (laughs) at his best. And I, I, like, hated him, but now he's just leaned into it so hard that I just respect Continue. I get that. And it it really makes for... It makes for okay TV in small doses, for sure. Um, but here's Dude, the here's show's the, too long. It's an hour and a half. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that long. Here's the title. Rick Buecher. Clippers edition of Marcus Morris gives clear edge over Lakers. Again, that's from Rick Buecher on Speak for Yourself from FS1. Um, real quick, Duff, that click, does that need clickbait correction, or is that just a stupid take? I mean, that's I, I think specifically... A, Pointing that at the Lakers doesn't make any sense because the edge the Lakers have over the Clippers is their size. And, I, you know, no one – Marcus Morris, what is he going to do defensively for you that some, anyone else on the Clippers can't already do? Like, he's the third best, fourth best perimeter defender on the Clippers right now besides, like, behind Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and then maybe Patrick Beverly. Like – that's that's like a toss up between him and someone who's like six foot tall. Yeah. And he's like six seven. So 
I, I mean, look, he's not going to guard Anthony Davis. I, I don't see that happening, at least not successfully. Not. <laughs> so, yeah, at least not yeah. successfully. So, I, if they wanted to get an edge over the Lakers, they would have traded for for a big, like a real big. I think you either say Marcus Morris addition leaves Clippers with edge above Lakers, like they already had it. You know, they either already had also, it or Rick not. Buker is very unimpressive to me as as an NBA analyst. Like, well, as, he wants again, to be someone like who a, watches a lot of Fox Sports. Like, yeah. I don't see it. He, he wants, wants to be like Tim Legler. Right. Well, he wants to be like a reporter who breaks like important stuff and comes to the table with like these insights uh, for the connections he has, but like he doesn't break anything no. and also no. like doesn't have good takes. So like, I don't know. Rick Buecher. He's really not interesting. Like I was, <laughs> whoever, whoever's the color guy, whoever's the color guy for the Pelicans. Like obviously I've been watching way more Pelicans games because Zion's here. Um, whoever that, that guy is. And it's, I can't remember his name, which is bad. He is really interesting to listen to on the broadcast. Like, he is really good about to, like there was something last night with with Jackson Hayes where he's he's like getting in a not a fight but like a, a confrontation with with Drew Holiday about pick and roll defense and he's like this is what Hayes is saying this is what Holiday is saying Hayes is right because of this this and this and then he saw it again and then they did it the proper way it's like because they talked that out they figured out what needed to happen and and it, like. All that stuff is really good. Buker brings none of that. Like Legler, <laughs> at least he'll break stuff down. I don't yeah. know what Buker does. Did he play in the NBA? I don't think so. I think he was a journalist. That was he was a journalist, right? No, maybe he did play. He, he is like an empty suit on TV. I got to tell you. Who knows? All right. Well, we have more trades to get to, and we're starting to get a little long winded here. So let's start moving through this. We have um, two clickbait corrections here. I'm going to read them both back to back because one of them is kind of just a joke, um, and the other one is more serious. So here it is from thedreamshake.com, another good website. Uh, obviously about the Houston Rockets. Shout out to Hakeem, the dream Olajuwon. Here's the first one, and that is Jordan Bell. Could have been the surprise steal for the Rockets, <laughs> which didn't That's, age well at all because he is not yeah. on the Rockets. <laughs> yeah. that was That's just like something that's just, that person is just institutionalized. I think whatever Dar- Daryl Morey does is, is correct. And also... Uh, is just like guys, we don't need a a big guy to get the rebounds. Like Jordan Bell is super athletic; he can rim run. Let's just let him do that. Like he'll be great. We can he can do it. Like as D'Antoni will show him the way. Listen <laughs> to me, guys. It'll be fun. We're fun. <laughs> this is fun. Oh god! All right. So the other well, other uh, article from thedreamshake.com is this: Robert Covington was quote the one that got away until the Rockets got him back. I think that's fairly accurate. I think Maury that like kind of always liked him, and I think he said in the past that he wishes he was he was a guy he still had in it, and it did hurt him to to part ways. And I think he is going to be like we talked about before. He's a guy who raises your floor. Like I'd much rather have him than Daniel House or Ben Macklemore, uh on the floor for me. Like maybe Austin Rivers is a better ball handler because Robert Covington certainly can't dribble. Um, <laughs> I literally watched him in a playoff game. Like he, he, he took, he pumped fake. Some dude was like playing fly by defense. He pumped the guy jumped and went right by him. And then he like put the ball down. Like he was going to dribble. Like he, he had it like up by his shoulders. And then he put it down a little below his waist and then just took a step to the side and then put it up again. And then he, he shot it and scored. I was sitting like three rows from the ceiling all the way on the opposite side of the, the arena with, with one of our friends, Fody. And I was like, he just traveled so bad. And he was like, what? I was like, he didn't dribble. And he just f- jumped to the side and no one saw it. Like, I was the only one in the arena who apparently saw it from like 300 feet away. It was, he can't dribble. But I, he doesn't need yeah. to dribble. No, he doesn't, especially now. 
James Harden's going to dribble. Russell Westbrook's going to dribble. He's they're going to dribble enough for the whole team. So all he's got to do is catch and shoot, and it's going to be, be, I think, a really good fit for them. Do you? And care? We'll see about the whole big man thing. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you about that next, but do you care that Robert Covington shot thirty-two percent from the field and thirty-one percent from three in ten career playoff games? One hundred percent, I care about that as a Sixers fan because he was awful. Like T.J. McConnell was so much better than him in all of those games. It was really, really an eyesore. And that, you know, that, that was, that was a team who wasn't, that was uh, their first playoff run. Like no one, none of them had ever been there besides JJ Redick. So like, I, I kind of, I get it. And I think this time he'll be more comfortable because on that, on that Sixers team, it was always like, they always needed more scoring from the wing. They needed to be more dynamic. And maybe he was trying to do those things um, that he wasn't comfortable with. Now he can just stay in his lane, catch and shoot. That's what that's all it's about for him. Catch and shoot. And maybe maybe the occasional cut to the rim. But Sarge was always the one who was a better cutter. So back to the uh trend that you've kind of been setting here on this podcast about, you know, raising a floor versus raising a ceiling. Clint Capella was probably a floor raiser, right? Where he gave them stability, gave them some rim protection, some rim running, obviously a good lob uh, matchup with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. But the Rockets may have said, we see our ceiling with Clint Capello. We need to try something else. They're obviously going super small and seeing what happens here. I think for the Hawks, Capella will now raise that um, floor, and that can be a good thing. How do you imagine the Rockets' super small ball play into effect now as like the real tough games of the season start and the playoffs start? Like, Is it going to be a problem, or is it going to be revolutionary or somewhere in between? Um, I, I honestly don't hate it because... It's it's so strange. We've never seen a modern team this small. I mean, th- I'd said it to you and Frank before. I was like, the fact that this isn't the smallest lineup or starting lineup in NBA history just shows you how trash basketball was in like the 60s and 50s. Um, but Capella got played off the court a lot in those playoff series against the Warriors specifically. So he he really wasn't he would it was like a bogut thing where he would start but he wouldn't finish like he wouldn't get a ton of minutes so I, i'm kind of okay with it the only thing i'm worried about is pj tucker is going to be able to 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 handle this uh this, this load on defense when he's banging in the post against all these big guys that's that's really my main concern i don't i really don't think losing capella is is a huge deal for them and i think they're just another team who's going to have their eye towards the buyout market you know, Cleveland has said that, you know, you know, Tristan Thompson's not going to get bought out, whatever. Like, this, the Celtics are a team that would love to get Thompson. And the Rockets, I think they're not, like, completely anti-big men. I think they're going to still have their eye on a guy like that. This was just a way to flip Capella for something they find more valuable, which is obviously shooting. So I, yeah. I, I'm okay with that. I think as long as uh, they can stay healthy and, and, and stand, stand the beating. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be damn interesting. And I think with how sick people got of watching the Rockets night in, night out, and Harden dribble and Westbrook dribble and Eric Gordon dribble and Austin Rivers dribble and nothing else but ISO and high pick and rolls to just try to find the best matchup, it got boring for a lot of people. Um, the occasional lob to Capella was the only exciting thing you got, really, with the, with the Rockets. And even that was kind of not that exciting because it was just Harden just pure manipulation, right? With this team now, I think everybody's a little more intrigued of like, how is it going to look? How is it going to look on defense and offense? Like, is the lane just going to be wide open because everybody can hang around the key 
and Chuck Threes, why Harden and Westbrook just slash like an MFer. So I think people are going to be more interested in the Rockets and less, you know, annoyed watching them, which I think could be a good thing for the NBA, if that makes sense. Eh, they might still be pretty annoyed. I think this is really going to change the way they play at all. So I think it's just kind of be more the same, right. uh, even even farther into that realm. Um, but an interesting thing I just thought about for James Harden, it's or, you know just another thing. This gives him one less option as he's driving. Like now he's strictly looking for shooters on the three point line. No, like we'll see who is or isn't at the rim. Like if he beats his man, someone's getting a wide open three unless the rotations are absolutely perfect, which NBA teams are absolutely certainly capable of. Um, but this gives him one less option as, as Capella is like a dude. He can just throw a pocket pass to or a lob when he's standing in a dunker spot. One thing, a lot of people are pointing to this game like the Rockets were uh, in L.A. playing against the Lakers, uh, their first game without Capella, going super small. Anthony Davis has 32 points and 13 rebounds. LeBron James was, I would say, the reason the Lakers lost that game. He was one for eight from three against a team that had no rim protection whatsoever. Yeah, like what happened there? That That is, like, I, I, I really don't understand that. Maybe LeBron wasn't feeling great and he just didn't put the effort forth to, to go attack the rim that much because it is more taxing on your body than just shooting. shooting. Um, so I, I guarantee you the next time they play, he's not shooting more than five threes unless he's like super hot. Like I would, I would, say the, I would set the over-under on his threes at like four and a half. So just attempted. Um, he, he will attack the rim and he will punish them for, for being that small. I can't believe he didn't do it this time. It was, it was, it was really kind of bizarre as I was watching that game. I was like, how does he only have, he doesn't have 20 points. Like what's happening. And I looked at the stat line and I was like, Oh wow. That's it, it was, it really stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, I think with the Rockets too, it just becomes a playoff thing, right? With even in the past two years with uh, Harden and Chris Paul and what they were doing during the regular season, how hard they were to stop and how efficient they were offensively, you know, their real test came in the playoffs when the same team saw them, you know, every two nights for seven games or whatever it was. So they were really hard to plan on, uh, hard to plan against when you see them on a Tuesday in February, but they became easier to plan plan against when you see them seven times in two weeks. So that'll be yeah. the real test, no matter who it's against, uh, whether it's the Nuggets with Jokic or the Jazz with Gobert, um, or obviously the top tier teams like the Clippers, Lakers, uh, etc. So their their real test comes later on in the season. So we'll see how that goes. Real quick, the other side of the trade. No, no, I, I, wait, wait, hang on, hang on. Just exactly to your point, I was actually talking to a Division three basketball coach a couple weeks ago. And I, and I was talking to him about, you know, the way basketball is shifting, um, you know, to, to more perimeter and shooting and all that stuff. He, he, you know, how is that to coach against? And he said, you know, the players are better, but it's easier to defend. And I was like, you know, it didn't totally make sense at first. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He said, the, you know where everyone's going to stand. Everyone knows what the best shots are, what's more efficient, what are the, you know, the, the places on the court that are most valuable and, and the attempts that, players are, are hunting so you know on defense where to anticipate guys are going to go all the time even if you don't exactly know where your man is you know where to run and it and it kind of makes it easier to defend those hot spots right and so especially like, when to, you exactly to your point on these matchups like that is something that teams are going to be able to do against the rockets 
Right, especially when they you know pick up the trends of Tucker, who just stands in the, who gets to the corner, and they pick up literally the just of, stands in the corner of Covington and Gordon, who just hasn't shot the ball well and all. But we'll we'll see what happens there. Real quick on the other side it's of the street, yeah, for sure. And hope you know I I you know you have to have faith in Eric Gordon if you're a Rockets fan, just saying like he will come around. Regression to the mean will bump his stats up. A fair amount. So, so we'll see what happens there. The other side of this trade is the Atlanta Hawks, and this should be a really, really quick one from a website called Soaring Down South. Not as good as the Dream Shaker dunking with wolves, but you know, not terrible. SoaringDownSouth.com. Their headline was, "Did the Atlanta Hawks win the trade deadline?" And I'm going to jump in. Uh, first of all, it's the question mark crutch that they used in this clickbait correction. Did the Atlanta Hawks win the trade deadline? No, because God forbid. You know, not God forbid, but we talked about the team that maybe perhaps did win the trade deadline. I think we outlined the Timberwolves in a similar situation to wanting to keep their star happy and raise their floor did a much better job than the Hawks probably for the breadth of moves that they accomplished rather than the Hawks just getting Capella and Deadman. Yeah, this this is a move for next year and hopefully... Capella helps with their rim protection and defense. Like Deadman is a guy who gives you like a stretch five feel, and it's kind of bizarre. He's already been on this team. Yeah, um, it feels like he never left. He, yeah, honestly, he, he was just hurt for two years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, and Jeff Teague's back on the on the on the uh, Hawks. You know. That's like some Twilight Zone shit. That, yeah. That's really weird to me. Um, Where's Al Horford at? Send him send him over back to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was yeah he was over six tonight in thirty in uh, thirty minutes zero points. Exciting. So. I'm not totally against that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hawks just, yeah, you're just trying to pump up your fans, whatever. Like, yeah. relax. We'll, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. It's not the worst thing we've ever seen. All right. Well, there's one more trade that we were going to talk about, but frankly, I, I feel like it's it's almost too much at this point. I don't want to go too, too long on this podcast. Just, no, just give me not. Just give me a super quick take on what the hell happened with Andre Drummond and the Pistons because is it, well, actually, just tell me if it's anything different than this. Andre Drummond makes a lot of money, is not worth that money, is not a proven winning commodity in the NBA despite his statistics. And the Pistons realize that and don't really care they got nothing back. They're just happy to not have the contract on the, on the books. That's 100% what it is. And now they're paying Kevin Love and Andre Drummond $60 million. Oof. And the Cavs basically said, oh, we'll, we'll lease Andre Drummond for a year, maybe two, and we'll see what happens because we also have nothing to lose because we suck and we're in the gutter. So yeah, I think the Cavs. I think the Cavs are banking on how terrible they are, so that Drummond won't pick up his player option. I think that's, that's honestly what they're hoping. Not crazy. Also, the Cavs may be and the Warriors may be the only two true tankers in this league we have right now. So you know they may be banking on uh, the average um, you know prospects we have in this draft this year, which we'll get more into at a later date. But yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens with the Bulls too. I'm interested. I want to talk to more of these locals that I said I'm working with, just because like they, they uh, I want to get a vibe or a sense of what the vibes are around around that team because it was it was a team like people were excited for. Just a quick tangent. Just uh, trim a conch just there. Sorry about that. All good. All good. Here we go. This is the last topic now. Sports Blog New York podcast. John Lucas Duffy and Pete Kennedy here with you guys, uh, releasing on a Monday morning. So this is our last topic. We talked about all the trades that happened. An important conversation is also the trades that didn't happen. The teams that didn't make a deal or didn't make the deal we thought they may have needed. The teams that jumped to mind for me, Duff, I'm going to name a couple. Feel free to add more or to pick a different one or pick one of these. Doesn't matter. But which team that didn't make a deal maybe should have? 
the Sixers, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Thunder, the Lakers, or Bucks? Um, the Raptors is interesting, but that's a team who's who's on pace to win more games this year than they did last year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but I would have to, I, I would maybe have to say the Sixers, but. The thing is, like, I don't know what they – they're not going to give up any of their top five or six guys in terms of salary. Like, honestly, their best bet is just to stand pat. And, like, I, f- I feel like they've made a lot of overly aggressive trades in the past few years. And I think they were they, – they might have been rewarded by not making a move here because they needed shooting, right? And Korkmaz has had, like, back-to-back 30-point games against the Grizzlies and now against the Bulls. Like, granted, not great teams. but if he is a dude who is a consistent, consistent, consistent three-point shooter, particularly from the corners, like I don't know what it is about the left corner. Like if you're the offense or the right corner, if you're you know from the bat, like looking out towards the court from the basket, he is like, I feel like I've never. He's probably shooting like fifty percent from there, but never when I'm watching, he's shooting zero percent from that corner. So I don't know what it is. Zero or a hundred. Um, zero. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like statistically, he's probably shooting fifty percent from there. Like I don't know, but like every time I watch him, I'm like why can't this guy make a fucking corner three? Like what? What am I? What's happening? Um, he, he needs to be farther out. He's a he's a chucker. He needs space. He wants it to be from thirty feet. Yeah, I guess the corner's uh, too close <laughs> for a con Curry. Um, the but like I think the fact that I'm kind of harping on him is just out like highlights exactly how much the Sixers need shooting and they need the players on their team to be more consistent shooters. Like they, they, I feel like they don't have like terrible shooting because they have Tobias Harris, who's been like much better shoot after starting off terribly. He's been much better. Hopefully Josh Richardson comes back and, and is shooting the ball. Well, if Korkmaz can stay on, you know, like at least close to this rate, you know, obviously it's impossible to keep this up, but, um, you know, even Mike Scott, if you can come off and give him a couple from the bench, Al Horford, if he can just like, I guess he's just not comfortable with it. Like he's a guy who's been able to do it in the past with, with the Celtics. Like he just doesn't seem comfortable out there for some reason. Like he always is like, like he's second guessing every three point shot he takes. It's very strange. It's a weird vibe on that team, but I'm not worried. <laughs> Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, I think the one that jumps out to mind is the Lakers because they were so expected to make a deal Um, but their team really is strong and the move didn't seem to be there because they didn't want to give up Kuzma. They don't have the money. Yeah they didn't want to give up Kuzma because it would have had that would have meant giving up Danny Green and they didn't want to do that so their hands were kind of tied. I think the team that jumps to mind is the Celtics and it's because Danny Ainge has been such a trade machine in the past where he seemingly always wins trades. He seems to make his team better. Um, and outside of the Kyrie thing going south, like we think about Danny Ainge just swindling other GMs, right? So you expected mm-hmm. them to do something, but maybe them not doing anything just tells us that they're comfortable and confident, and they may know that this year isn't their year, but it still can be, right? Like it's not out of the realm of possibilities for the Celtics to make a big-time push in the playoffs and knock off a team like the Bucks or the Heat, right? You can totally imagine that happening. Um, that being said, it is a little weird that they seem okay with Tice and Cantor 
as their big men. That's the only thing for yeah. me. So I think the Celtics are most shocking. I expected them to upgrade at center, but they're going to be know. they're going to be aggressive in the buyout market if if Tristan Thompson becomes available. Like, as as will the with, Lakers. As will the Lakers. Yes. Uh, oh no, not for not for no, Tristan not Thompson, for Tristan but Thompson. for everybody else. Yeah. Um yeah, specifically shooters. Like they they had Darren Collison at the Lakers had Darren Collison at the Rockets game and they saw uh he saw the Lakers lose to a team with no center. And he said, "You know what? I'm going to stay retired. It's fine. I got <laughs> yeah. this." So, I guess yeah. he was like, "Yeah, free tickets." No, I'm good. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's funny. Um all right, so let's do one last word here. Uh, about these teams. So not a lot of reasoning here, but just give me a top five power ranking after the trade deadline, after all the moves, East and West combined. Just give me your top five teams, particular order or not, doesn't matter. Just give me your top five teams that you see going into this playoff push. Top five teams, I would have to start with uh, the Clippers. I'm going to go with the Clippers. I'm going to go with the, man, I still feel like the Clippers, even though like uh, they've been going like through the motions as a team who's like, uh, we're on like our third title defense. Like, why do we need to keep playing the regular season, even though <laughs> they've never won like anything ever? Um, literally. Uh, but that's but that's how we felt about the Raptors last year, too. And then, you know what? They're fine. Like, they were fine, and I think the Clippers will be fine. Uh, after that, I would say... Uh, I'm going to give the edge to the Lakers over the Bucks just because LeBron. Like, that's really the only reason. Uh, he's, he's, like, I've seen with my own eyes that he's done it before. Um, it's really like a 2A, 2B with the Bucks there because uh, Giannis is just otherworldly and their point differential is, I think, the best in history uh, of all time. So that's <laughs> really an interesting that's, – that's, that's a good thing when you can do that. Um, that's something. After that – yeah, after that, I'm going to go with the Nuggets. I think just the fact that they, like, getting rid of Beasley, he's a good player. He's someone you want on your team. But that's just kind of a guy. That's just a team that, you know, like, we saw this with the Celtics last year. If, like, Marcus Smart went down, they would play better. And then if Jalen Brown went down, they would play better. They just have too many guys. It's less really just more. addition. It becomes by, less It's just more. addition by subtraction. Yeah. Uh, subtraction, yeah. Because they weren't going to pay him. And you might as well get something for him. Uh, so I have them four. And then the fifth one, the fifth one's kind of tough because it, it really feels like a three-team race at this point. The fifth team right now, I think I'm going to say the Raptors. All right. I think I'm going to say the Raptors. They're Ooh. on a 13-game winning streak. 14, actually, yeah. 14. Oh, is it 14 they play today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 14-game winning streak. And, you know, Pascal Siakam has made so many, you know, Improvement is not always linear, right? And he he just has stayed on the same trajectory of just making leaps and bounds season after season. It's been incredibly impressive. And I, I feel like they, he's set the tone for that team this season and, and, and over the offseason that, you know, we lost Kawhi, but, like, I'm here. Don't worry about it. Like, I, I'm here now. We're going to be okay. You know, I don't see them winning the finals, but – making a deep run like it, they're a goal they're they're a team whose goal like the mavericks would be to make the uh western conference finals or eastern conference finals you know not that the mavericks are as good as the raptors but that's just kind of that mindset for each team a realistic attainable goal for them would what i would say is the conference finals. so i think with 
Siakam emerging as a star and uh, Lowry Van Vliet emerging as a, as a really good NBA player. And then Abaka along with um, Gasol, like they're just so solid all the way around and they really click and have great chemistry, which is a thing we always underrate. And uh, that's, that's why I got them at five. What about you? Um, I actually had, I, I didn't expect you to go Nuggets Raptors, to be honest. I, I thought you would go maybe Nuggets. I thought you were going to go Celtics or Heat as well. Uh, but I actually, I had the same five. I'm not going to lie. I like not to oh, be, shit. not to be boring. <laughs> My order would be different. I'm putting the bucks at the top. Cause I think like, it's just wrong. It's just rude actually to say that they're not the best team. Cause they're just insane. And they are a well-oiled machine who seem to love playing with one another and that's incredible to watch. Like their chemistry. They do seem like they're having so much fun. They're they're forty five and seven. Tough. They're on pace for seventy wins. Like that's not a that's not a drill. They're on pace for 70, <laughs> 70. This is not a drill. Seventy wins, Duff. So like, uh, it's just rude to say that they're not the number one contender right now. That's fine. Um, that's fine. But then I would go. I would go Lakers above the Clippers. I think the Clippers got the best of them in the regular season. I do like the Lakers on like the chess match game that LeBron James can play uh, and really raise Anthony Davis to that next level in the playoffs. So I'll go Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and I'll stick with the Raptors as well. Like I said, same five, not not to be boring, but it's how Just I feel. Quick on the honorable yeah. mention, like the Heat, if they had gotten Gallinari, they're definitely in above the Nuggets and the the Raptors in my mind. I think that's how important that piece was for them. Yeah. The the Sixers obviously are not clicking, especially on the road. It's it's crazy to me that a team can be like oh, like 20 games over 500 at home and then 10 games below 500 on the road. Yeah. The Just Sixers have a better home mental. record than the Bucks. Yeah. How about wow, that? Wow, that's insane. Yep. Yeah, the, the Eastern Conference yeah. at home is actually insane. Like I, the the Raptors have the most home losses at twenty and seven, and then the Celtics only have five lo- home losses. Heat only have three. Sixers two. Bucks three. Like that's freaking crazy. Oh yeah. my god. But uh, yeah, last, the Nuggets. I I, I think Jokic is going to be a force in this playoffs. I think he's going to give even when they lose because they're not going to go to the finals. In my opinion, even when they lose, they are going down with an absolute battle. Last year they came up a little weak for my liking, and this year I think they come up much stronger, even if they don't get over the hump. But yeah, I would have loved if that team was able to trade for Bradley Beal this season. Oh goddamn! You know, a boy can dream. A boy can dream. You know, Duff. You, yeah, you said to me, it's like they wouldn't have a point guard. I was like, do they have one now? Yeah, like do they? Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. This guy's been sick. Yeah. In his couple of games back from injury, he's been really, really good. Anyway, I'm not saying he's bad. It's just you know, no PG vibes. Fair enough. He's a little bit of a Bradley Beal light in a way anyway. So I know. It's, it's, I know. it's interesting, interesting stuff. All right. Well, more conversations to come in the NBA. Our last words go to you, Duff, but I have a question for your last words. Is that okay? Oh, boy. All right. Oh, boy. Yeah, go ahead. If there was one player that you were to bump shoulders with, which player would make you most excited to meet during All-Star Weekend coming up? Luka Doncic. Ooh, really simple no answer there. Yeah, no hesitation on that. I thought, Luka, I, okay. Well, who did you think it was going to be? I thought there could be like a sneaky John ja Morant in there. Like a sneaky John ja Morant or a sneaky, maybe maybe a Nikola Jokic. I think Jokic might be up there for me. But uh, That I, would be, dude, I would love to like just be next to him and like like 
whatever catering is out there. Just like, I, he's a dude I would want to be like, just like, I would love to just eat lunch with that dude. Just, like, just like be behind, what is, <laughs> behind him on this? the buffet line. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and just be like, what are you, what are you eating? Like, I want to see what you're doing day to day. And like, I want to see him eat as many tater tots as I do. And he's still just like unbelievable at basketball. It's like, you just give a fuck. You mean way more tater tots than you do. Yeah. Also Zion. <laughs> like I would love to just, I just want to see what he looks like up close and personal because seeing LeBron last year like from 10 feet away and, and, and Giannis, like the way that they're built, like when the people call them aliens, like that's, that shit's real. Like the way that they are physically put together, it makes no sense. It's like, we're not even the same species as those guys. It's, it's, LeBron does not physically look like any other human I've ever seen in my life. I don't know how else to describe it. It's so like jaw dropping when you see him. There we go. So physically imposing. I think there's a lot of people who you wouldn't mind bumping into uh, in a couple of days. Oh yeah. I'm going to be happy. To- there we go. So keep us posted Duff. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking more and you'll be coming back next week with at least a list of three and one locked in <laughs> guests for the NBA outsiders sports blog, New York podcast. Is that right? I'm ready for it. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. For John Lucas Duff, MP Kennedy, Sports Blog New York Podcast and NBA Outsiders Edition, talking all things NBA, trade deadline, and more. Y'all have a great day. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and turn on those notifications.